I don't talk about healthcare perhaps as much as I should on this program as a practicing doctor. We're going to do a little bit of it today. And I'm, I think I'm going to let someone else do the griping. And of course, we all have gripes about insurance, health insurance. It's a big national controversy. So I thought we'd bring on an expert, a local expert who has to deal with this every day. So I'd like to say welcome to Radio Parallax, Denise Fitzgerald. Thank you very much. And we can explain what you do. You, you have to battle with insurance companies in your capacity as a... Medical claims auditor. And I specialize in Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and workers' compensation. So I get to deal with a lot of different issues when it comes to how health care is, is applied in our society through the insurance carriers. Well, you and I crossed paths and thought it'd be good to have you on the radio sometime back when in the local deli, I noticed a headline in the B about Blue Cross was changing its policies on such and such. And you were rather unhappy about that. And I, I didn't quite grasp the issue. What, what was at stake in all that? I do believe that Blue Cross was proposing a 39% increase in premium rates after um, scoring a record revenue year (laughs) (laughs) and if you know anything about blue cross and blue shield they're both they have the propensity towards denying claims or shutting off coverage when the wind blows the wrong way and that's where you come in you're auditing these things and you have to come in and sort of advocate for the person who's now had you know the wind taken out of his sails as I, I try as much as I can. There are a lot of restrictions that we have to abide by, and there are certain places that, as, as a claims auditor, I have no power. Um, the way claims are, are, not claims, but the way coverage is written now, there are so many exclusions for pre-existing conditions. There's ways that they can shut off coverage when it's been maxed out. Workers' compensation, that's a totally different animal in and of itself in the way they manage payment. And, and the lack of payment affects our laboratory and how we're able to pay our bills and take care of our business. So it's kind of a, a round, uh, everybody kind of gets screwed by the way the insurance companies are working us now. Well, it is a national debate for that reason. And we should probably take this in, in uh, digestible quantities, I guess. So let's do about eight or 10 minutes today and have you come back. You live here in the neighborhood. We can you know, talk about this anytime on, on the show. But um, it is so confusing and such a big mess. It may be better just if we did an example of how something happens. Like without, why don't you give us kind of a composite case of, of how things go wrong from your perspective when, when someone's being abused by Blue Cross? A, a very recent example, as a matter of fact, one today. There was a young girl, her birthday is in 2002, and she was diagnosed with lymphatic leukemia. Um, of course, there are a whole lot of, of specimens and testing and things that are done when someone's diagnosed with cancer. Um, Blue Cross is now delaying payment on the claims. Um, this little girl, 2002, so she's only eight years old. Yeah. They're already trying to deny claims for max benefits, lifetime max benefits on this little girl. At age eight. At age eight. And, and, and the horrible thing is, too, Doug, I apologize for interrupting you. No. The horrible thing is, is now this little girl is diagnosed with a pre-existing condition, so for her to be able to go out as a young adult to purchase her own insurance will be next, next to impossible. Well, people are talking about how uh, you know various plans to rectify this would involve a larger pool and bring people into that. And uh, insurance is always kind of a funny game that you play. You hope that you want it to cover everybody. Do you have any opinions on where this is all headed and how to fix this aspect of it? My dream cure? Yeah. Single-payer health care. Okay. We also process Medicare and Medicaid claims in our office. Um, turnaround payment time through those systems is approximately two weeks to 
uh, probably 21 days, as opposed to a Blue Cross Blue Shield plan or workers' comp that can extend out sometimes over a year for payment. Um, the patients are, are allowed to see any physician that they choose, go to any hospital they choose under these plans, and the, the, the patients taken care of and the physicians are reimbursed. How are physicians doing? Because seeing this from my end, there's the same amount of money that's ever gone into healthcare is going into healthcare and more. But uh, physicians and people doing the actual care providing on the other end uh, are, are seem like they're just cut out of the deal. I mean, that's that's not your end of the business. I suppose that's something you don't see as much. But it does. It, it strikes me that like you know the money is disappearing before it gets to the person that's delivering the care. And I would agree with you there. I also see um, an abuse in procedures. A good example would be like mammograms, um, mm -hmm. breast biopsies, things like that that are routinely done when there's really no indication that that's an, a necessary procedure. That pushes up the cost of, of health care. However, the, the reimbursement rates aren't increasing either. So you have all of this, this expense going out as technologies and expectations of, of the market, the consumers. Right. Um, as that goes up, the costs increase, however, the revenues aren't keeping step with that. You have you come back at some point and just talk about the myth of Medi-Cal. I've always thought that was a, a striking example of how nobody's getting compensated. They're pretending to pay people uh, on that are, that are providing service. And I know that like UC Davis, they have clinics, they just don't even bother. They say, just come on in. They treat you for free because it costs more money to try and get money out of the Medi-Cal system. It is quite pricey to, to get reimbursement from, from carriers. Medi-Cal, I'm, I'm not... That is not my specialty. Yeah. Um, I know there's a lot of frustrations, a lot of hoops that have to be jumped through as far as the coding and how how the claim is presented for payment. Right. There are so many various programs under that one heading. Mm -hmm. As I said, if we just had a single payer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Medicare for all, that, well, that would be... I, I think that, you know, is probably where we need to go. I, I look at... Um, I look at the games that are played by insurance companies. There was a point about, I'm thinking maybe 15, it must be 20 years ago by now, uh, we're used to write in as a, as a diagnosis, rule out this or rule out that. And someone came along and said, they, was all getting, they were denying all those because they said, wait a minute, you can't just rule something out. You have to put down a diagnosis. Well, it's like, you don't know the diagnosis. That's why you're doing the tests. Well, that's a result of, of us going from a fee-for-service schedule to um, payment being based upon diagnosis that there was that major shift and and we need to go back to as you said rule out where where the physician is being reimbursed for the services not the diagnosis well everyone's got you know wall street on their mind it just i don't know how you feel about this denise but it looks to me like what's happening in healthcare and has been happening for quite some time in healthcare is what we're sort of seeing with the kind of um i don't know what, what would you call it the guys at the top just skimming off more than they ought to Ah, Wendell Potter, Cigna. He was the, the uh, chief um, communications officer for Cigna. Um, actually has brought that to the fore. Have you heard of him? Wendell no. Potter. He actually resigned from Cigna after seeing the extravagance that he was experiencing and going back to his hometown and seeing his neighbors that he had grown up with his entire life going down to the local um, state fairgrounds and receiving service health services in the horse stalls and stuff like that in places like that for by by physicians without borders they were actually physicians by without borders is typically they go into third world countries and I, they, I did not know they were operating in the u.s they, the they've had three or four major major wow 
there were there were two held in LA. They, wow. they had so many people lining up. I did not know this. 10, 12 hours waiting in line. Thousands of people where they have to turn them away. And then they, they in, in Los Angeles, they actually the next day came back to provide services. And they're providing both medical and dental. Wow. Wendell Potter, Chief um, Communications Officer for Cigna. This Wendell Potter sounds like the kind of guy we ought, to, we ought to get in touch with to talk on the show. If he's being a whistleblower, I'm sure he would uh, like to, to speak out. Any platform, I'm sure he would. You know, we're going to talk about the amount of money that gets wasted in administration, I think, in insurance companies, hospitals, etc. Because, you know, my understanding is in America, it's like 40% of our healthcare dollars, whereas the Germans spend like 8%. So we'll talk about that. Denise Fitzgerald, thanks for joining us, and we'll come back in here to, to talk about health care over uh, the spring and summer. I appreciate your time, Doug. All right. All right, we've got about uh, five minutes left, I think, Mr. McMillan. I believe so. All right. Well, let's do some politics to close this off, including our obituaries. I was not there, but uh, Carl Rove came to my neighborhood, came to my neighborhood borders in Sacramento, and I'm sorry to say I was being a doctor that afternoon and couldn't go over there to give him the welcome he deserved. War criminal and election thief that he is. I called over to uh, some pals over at the News and Review to see if we could rally the troops if they were going to make an appearance, but um, apparently they couldn't either. So if you were there and know anything about what kind of reception Carl Rove gave, got or took part in that uh, reception, drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. Inquiring minds want to know. And I was pawing through our archives not too long ago, as I do once in a while, and discovered an item that, uh, that I think we used back in uh, June of last year, worth a second look. And I quote, Eight of the nine current Supreme Court justices attended either Yale or Harvard. Only Justice John Paul Stevens, University of Chicago, Northwestern Law, was educated outside the North, Northeastern Ivy League. Well, of course, with Justice Stevens stepping down, who's he going to be replaced with? Well, they're going to try and get the former dean of the Harvard Law School to take his place. Ladies and gentlemen, this country has had just about enough of the Ivy League for the next century, I think. These are the folks that gave us uh, George Bush, uh, the Skull and Bones, and it goes without saying Antonin Scalia and Clarence Thomas. Now, I must say, I have met people that went to Yale or Harvard and didn't manage to shoehorn that into the conversation in the first paragraph after meeting you, but I've only met one or two. And please, if you attended an Ivy League college in any capacity, save the hate mail. We've got two obituaries to close with. The first, the former... Alaska Governor Wally Hickel. Walter Hickel managed to get promoted to Interior Secretary in the Nixon administration. And according to Greg Palast, had everything to do with the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. Which, by the way, was sold to the American public based on the fact that all the oil would come down to the lower 48. And by the way, ever since they put it in, all the oil has gone to Japan. We gotta run this down, but Greg Pallas thinks that Wally Hickel was the power behind the throne that managed to get Sarah Palin into the Alaska governor's chair. I'm keen to know more about that, and we're gonna have to see if we get uh, Mr. Pallas back on the show for what I think is fifth appearance. Uh, 
I don't know. A very, very, very curious story, Walter Hickel. Greg Pallas decide Walter Hickel developed a reputation as being a guy who actually took environmentalism seriously. According to the mainstream media obituaries, and as far as I remember, this is true, Hickel imposed stringent cleanup regulations on oil companies and water polluters after an oil rig explosion off the Santa Barbara coast. He also fought to save the Everglades from being destroyed by developers and advocated for making Earth Day a national holiday. Also, to his credit, he got fired in late 1970 after sending Nixon a letter critical of how the president handled student protests after the National Guard shootings at Kent State University and the U.S. invasion of Cambodia. Noted uh, Becky Bohr in the AP, the letter helped to stir national debate about the growing generational rift over the Vietnam War. And it was in 1990, at age 71, after several unsuccessful gubernatorial bids that Hickel returned to the Alaska governorship a second time. His second term was marked by frequent run-ins with legislators put off by his sometimes autocratic style and with environmentalists who were critical of his unabashed support for national resource development. And it is noted that he was an early supporter of former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin during her campaign in 2006. And a final item of the day, and we don't have time to do this one properly, but I just want to mention the political obituary of Utah Senator Robert Bennett. Apparently a bunch of Tea Party Republican uh, types stormed the convention they were having in uh, Salt Lake City, and they decided not to renominate Senator Bennett, which is very odd. Even more odd, he took third in the balloting. Send Bennett at a press conference. The political atmosphere obviously has become toxic. It's very clear that some of the votes I've cast have added to the toxic environment. Robert Bennett is a guy who has a very interesting role, or had a very interesting role, back in the days of Watergate. He's a political insider of the highest order. His father had previously been a Utah senator. And because A, we're running out of time, and B, I want to tell the story properly, we're going to have to return to the tale of Robert Bennett in a future program, perhaps with Lisa Pease, our... L.A. investigative uh, journalist who's very up on such things. To do it right, we're going to have to do it right. We're going to have to get a little bit of this tale of uh, what really happened in Watergate, such as we now know, which is still very incomplete these many years later. But we're out of time today. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. We'll thank actor and comedy legend Phil Proctor for his contribution today. And, of course, our good friend Will Durst. And Denise Fitzgerald, who will be back. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and I'll see you, or at least be talking to you, next week at the same time.